Hello, and welcome to another episode of Tomversation. I am Tommy Jacket, and today joining me is Craig Harper. Craig Harper, welcome. <laughs> Hello, Tom. Thanks for having me on Tomversation. What a privilege. I'm, I feel special. Thank you. Well, on Instagram, I did put it out who, who do they want to see on the show, and you were one of them. You were up there. You were up there. Well, no, there was actually more than one. That's because my mum follows you. Yeah, look, she told me not to say it was her, and uh, but, you know, it was also Rod and your dad. He came in and, and said, look, can you get my son? He's struggling. He's a, he's a struggling artist. Bring him on the show. No, but I know you, I know you like – you love TVs. You've got a couple of TVs in your joint. Um, I've got five in my not very big house, so that's probably. But the funny thing is, I I watch less TV at this point <laughs> than I, gonna, I ever have in my life. I was going to say you have more, more going on than ever, and yeah. that means no time. There is there is a show though that I want to talk to you about. Uh, have you seen the brand new Kanye West documentary? It's called. That not, that's on Netflix. It's like a three part thing. Yes, it's called. Genius, genius, yeah. J-E-E-N-Y-U-H-S. I will say, Tom, uh, <laughs> it has come to my attention, but I did scroll right on by. Should I yeah. buy a hit play or? Uh, I think you should. So this is not, I mean, I, I know that you're, you don't listen to his music, but even hey, if you don't hey, like that's it. That's very presumptuous. Okay, look. I've I, seen Kanye West live. Have you? That's really where did you see him? I saw him at uh, the MCG. He was way back in the day opening for you too. Ah, he was a little supporter. Long time ago, maybe fifteen years ago, when he was just a a fledgling. Holy shit! Well, I haven't seen him, so you're you're more of a fan than I am. Um, so no. don't assume. You know what that does? Yeah, no, you're right. Makes an ass out of you and me. <laughs> <laughs> no, so. There's something that I, so I've watched two, two episodes. It comes out weekly. By the time this episode drops, there will probably be another episode out. So it will be the trilogy. But you've never seen a guy who has more self-belief. And the, where he's at right now in his career, he's kind of definitely made, a, made an ass of himself. But in the early days, you, you've never seen someone with you know, that believes more in the purpose they have and the self-belief that they are going to do whatever they set out to do. It, it's, it's fascinating. How's he made an ass out? Sorry, how's he made an ass out of himself lately? I haven't been paying attention. Oh, Instagram. Just, right. yeah. I mean, he's just, I mean, he's done some crazy things, said some crazy stuff, but it, it, you know, it's a part of him being an artist. But the, the, the self-belief is it's he just it's a 101 in self-belief i mean for you where where does self-belief sit i mean maybe it's something you just either have or it's not something you focus on maybe you notice it more if you don't have it where where do you sit with self-belief it's interesting isn't it because i think a, a lot of people have a lot of self-doubt which is almost the well it's pretty much the opposite isn't it um i think for I think normally this is just my guess, right? This is not research, but normally I think self belief comes through doing stuff and achieving stuff, and you know, being a bit scared, trying something, getting an outcome, doing it again, getting maybe a better outcome, building confidence and skill and awareness and insight over time, um, and that kind of comes. You know, there's a kind of knowing, but it, it's really interesting because I think. Self-doubt is far more common than self-belief. Absolutely. You know, I think that's a, it's almost like a, a psychological and emotional scourge, uh, self-doubt. But I think, I think there's, the, I think there's a possibility because self-doubt is largely about fear and anxiety and apprehension and what if people don't like me and what if I'm not good enough and what if I fail and what if I look like a dick and all of those very emotional fear-based things. So I think self-doubt can coexist with, um, which is more emotional with the intellect of, well, I know that I'm not terrible at this, but I feel like this could be the day that everybody discovers that I am or something, you know? So 
Uh, an example of that is somebody like me who's done a lot of public speaking in front of lots of audiences. I can know intellectually that I'm probably going to be okay at this because I've done it a thousand times while simultaneously feeling not good enough to be in front of that audience. So mm. I don't think that the feeling of self-doubt has to determine what we do and what we don't do. But I, I think it's common and I think self-belief, I wonder if he really does have self-belief or it just looks that way, but it certainly mm. does look that way and where that comes from because he would seem to have an abnormal level of it. Um, but he's done a lot of stuff that worked. Mm. Like yeah. maybe if he launched his career and he took off and nobody loved him or bought his records or followed yeah. him or supported him, maybe it, you know, maybe it's a byproduct of the evolution of him and his brand. Oh, I mean, it's he had so many people doubting whether he was a rapper or not because he could make beats and was successful doing this one thing, producing music. But then mm. he saw himself as this. Which the the other thing is how easily we're rattled say you I, it's easy for me to say oh i've got belief that i can do x but if you've got people vocal about it that you aren't the thing you think you are or the thing you believe you are you know add that into the mix and that would crumble most people for just in the documentary you get a sense that he even amongst doubters haters he still kept believing and maybe it like there is a guy who just thinks that his purpose is to make art in that form or, you know, use his words and art to communicate something, whatever that is. So I'm mean, just thinking about it now, but maybe it's the anchoring to the purpose that is beyond the self-belief. Self-belief isn't, doesn't matter. So maybe if he has, well, what is, what is self-belief? A feeling? It's an emotion. It's a, it's a moment where, emotions like anxiety might play or, you know, things might arise. You might feel sad, but yeah, maybe he's anchoring to the purpose beyond, which is beyond the self-belief. I think self-belief and self-doubt as two standalone constructs are a little bit situation or context dependent. Mm. If you said to me, Craig, you've got to talk tonight at Rod Laver Arena. They're going to be 5,000 people. You need to do a, a three hour workshop on, you know, getting your shit together. My overwhelming emotion would be excitement. If you said to me, you've got to go to North Melbourne to the comedy club or whatever it's called mm. there, and you've got to do five minutes of stand up in front of five people, I'd go to the toilet 32 times today and I would be anxious mm. for the next 12 hours, you know? Um, it, I think it depends. Like, I think in our lane, we'll have a lane. I think in our lane, most of us, are pretty confident and comfortable, but when we have to step out of our lane, or perhaps worse, when we get kicked or dragged out of our lane screaming, um, that's where the self-doubt can come in. So I think it's about context. Um, you know, there, there are some, th like you and I doing this, I've done well over a thousand podcasts. Uh, so have you. I've been in front of a microphone thousands of times. So have you. You know, so doing this involves very little self-doubt on either of our, of our parts, not because we're brilliant, but because we know we've done it a lot and we can do it. But, you know, in a different context, talking, just what we're doing right now, different situation, different audience, different expectations, different reason, we could both be terrified. It, mm. It's situation dependent, I think. Mm. Um, I, I, just a side story you'd love this. I was walking past a, a, a bloke's joint just before and I saw his garage open up and I always um, walk down this street and I know what's in that garage. The door rolled up and it is stacked high with protein powder. <laughs> now I'm talking your language and he sells it. And I thought, mate, I've got to go up and buy some. This, this bloke has been doing it since COVID. Like I saw him there with his mask on in COVID time and I went up and I bought two kilos of pro protein. That's just a Perfect. little, what, little, what brand is it? Um, something one R one. I don't know. It's uh. what are two kilos of protein powder cost you? One twenty five. It will last wow. me bloody. It will last me a long time. I don't, I don't drink much of it. 
every couple mm-hmm. of days. It's, um, not, it's not a super bargain, though. I, I thought you were going to say sixty bucks or something. I'm going to go give nah, you the address. It was, <laughs> it was one twenty-five. Fuck! I've been ripped right? off. I'm not going back. Lucky I didn't remember the brand name. Jeez. Well, at least you're supporting a lo- a local retailer. Is yeah, he a retailer? Yeah. yeah. Well, he said he had a shop, and it um, and obviously COVID, they had to right move, move ship. But um, yeah. <laughs> I was having a conversation with somebody about something they did that went was quite successful, and they stopped doing it. And I and I said to them, "Do you want to keep doing it?" And said, "Oh, I feel you know, thirty years younger." And um, ref- and I, I was just think- thinking about how anything we do, we're rewarded. Like if it's hard, the reward mm. on the other side. Most things that we are reaping a reward are mm. hard. Mm. And you, I've heard you say many times, "Are you up for what's required?" Mm. Which I, I wonder if that was him th- saying, I'm, you know, I'm actually not like the success is great, but I actually just don't want to. But I don't think the, the thought was there in, in the way we're sort of outlying it, outlaying it here. Yeah. Well, in business, we talk about a thing called a cost benefit analysis, which you know what that is. And, and I think we can do that personally, like opportunity to opportunity or challenge to challenge where I say, all right, um, I want to do a PhD. I go, okay, what's the cost? You know, and you go, well, yeah, four years of your life, like, um, you know, all this time and effort and energy and, and uh, while you're doing all that stuff that you don't get paid for, you can't do all this other stuff that you do get paid for. And so you weigh it up and you go, what's the potential benefit? And you go, well, then I'll be a whatever and I'll have, and maybe that'll open this door or maybe, you know, so you weigh up what's, what's it going to cost me and what's in it for me. And I think it's um, it's very normal and it's very okay to go to the point to get to the point where you go. Look, you know, I I got there with personal training where I went. I I don't do this anymore. It's not a bad career. Uh, it was a great career for me for a very long time. Do I want to keep owning my own gyms and doing this and wake up in a minute and go, wow, now I'm sixty and I've been doing essentially Groundhog Day for forty years? No, I don't. It's not bad. It's just not. It's not for me. And as we evolve, as we change, the thing that will work for us in inverted commas uh, as a job or as a, a, a career or a business or a, a focus or a passion or even a relationship sometimes, the thing that really worked well doesn't always work well over the long term. Um, and, and maybe we need, you know, for me, I need, I need variety. I need change. I, I'm not good at doing the same thing, the same way forever. So I need challenges. I need to learn new things. I need to try new stuff. I need to fuck up, uh, get up, try again, succeed, fail, go again. But that's just how I'm wired. A lot of people, you know, I haven't had a job since I was 26, which is 32 years. Uh, Obviously for your listeners going, what? I still work, but I work for me. But uh, I also don't think the way that I operate around work would be great for most people because it lacks a lot mm-hmm. of certainty and security and and uh, predictability and all of the things that most people really like. Like I don't know how much money I will make this year because I don't have a set income. I could make lots or not much. Um, and, and, and I don't have holiday pay or sick pay or like most of the benefits that people have who have a job, um, but also I have complete freedom and autonomy and creativity and I can do what I want when I want and I can, I can write three books or I can, uh, I can start a new program, I can start another podcast, I can do this, whatever, or I can take six months off. Um, but all of that has risk and reward. And, and I, think, I think this is a, a good point to make is the, the idea that to challenge the idea that there's our best way. There's a best way to have a job or a best kind of job or a best kind of protocol in terms of work life balance and happiness. And there really isn't, there's no, there's no universal kind of protocol that's going to work optimally for all these millions of different human beings. So I guess there are certain principles that work like we need to rest and recover and laugh and connect and love and be loved all those normal human things. But then beyond that, how we individually do work or how we individually do health 
or how we individually do socialising, it's, it's really varied. And, and what will blow someone's socks off for someone else will be horrible. The idea of me going and sitting at a restaurant with 20 people in a loud, noisy restaurant, all drinking lots of grog and having five courses and all of that, for me personally, less than zero appeal. Mm. For most of my friends, best night ever. And they're not right and I'm wrong and I'm not right and they're wrong. We're just not the same. Mm. So you, 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 know, saying- but you and me, you and me going out, having dinner, talking shit for an hour and a half, eating some food, laughing, and then getting up at eight o'clock going, see you mate, give us a hug, bye. For me, that, that appeals to me. Mm. So, so we're not going out tonight with 20, 20 others? Should I, I'll cancel the others. No, you can, you can. No, it, <laughs> I, like, and I know that I'm the odd one out there. I'm not saying what they do is bad or it, it's, it's not. I realize I'm the exception, not the rule. But that's the thing is that, you know, it's like I've never had booze, exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. I've never been high, exception, not the rule. Doesn't, not better or worse, just like, you know, we all, th- I think we think on a, our deepest level when no one's listening, watching, looking or, or knowing that we're the weirdest person ever <laughs> uh, and that if people just knew what goes on in my head, oh, my God, but it, we're kind of all like that a bit. Yeah. And, and just bringing back to the bloke that said, you know, 30 years younger, I mean, is there... So the, it could be wisdom. You have wisdom. So you have uh, understanding of, you know, the cost analysis. Um, is it worth me doing? But what about when that's in the way? So you could say, well, 30 years ago, you should have done something like that. Or, you know, like, is life just about lining the stars up that you are willing to put in enough effort at a moment in time where you have the chutzpah or the inspiration? And so I, I don't know, I don't know the answer, but I think it's like, you know, if you connect it to like hard things, you know, great things usually come from some sort of hard effort. Mm. And mm. so that I feel like there's a friction in a lot of people in life that there's heaps of shit we want to do, heaps of great things we want to achieve, but the answer can't always be, oh, I could, you know, should have been years ago, or I don't have the energy now, or... You know, even if you do feel a state of like, oh, I'm not up for that stress. But then if you answer that, can you be on the, you know, the other side is being annoyed at your situation. I don't think that's the only option well, there. I mean, if you're not doing what's required to change your situation, but you still keep complaining about your situation, I have no sympathy for you. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, cool. Like, you know, it's don't. Don't tell me that you need to lose weight and keep eating 7,000 calories of shit a day True. because that's, that's a choice. That's, and I'm not talking about obesity or good or bad. I'm not being, I'm just saying like what I put in my mouth is optional. What I do to my body is optional. If I sit on the couch or go for a run, mm-hmm. that's a choice. If I eat crap food or good food. So if I'm eating junk and not moving much and then complaining to you about how I feel and my lack of energy and what I look like, you should say, Harps, pull your finger out and do something about it, you know, and we can apply that to, to a lot. But I think, I think we're very externally focused in our culture and, and we think when we think success, typically most people are talking about stuff. So, you know, stuff equals success. More stuff equals more success. Lots and the best stuff if you've got the best stuff, then you're the most successful. And that, that is obviously not everyone thinks that, but that's the way that we've kind of been taught and told and trained and programmed, right? And we all know people that have earned lots of dough, but in the middle of all of their apparent success, they're not happy. They're miserable. They're medicated mm. for anxiety and depression and sleeplessness. And, and it's not to say that one causes the other, but it is to say that having lots of stuff doesn't necessarily equate to I'm really happy and I'm really calm and I'm not anxious and I sleep great and there's heaps of contentment and fulfillment. They operate in isolation. So I think it's important that one, we work on our life and by life, I mean situation, circumstance, environment, job, bank balance, relationships, all of the things that can be seen. And then two, that we work on the self, the self being me. That is my thoughts, feelings, drivers, behaviors, emotions, uh, beliefs, values, ideas, creativity, passion, self-control, discipline, motivation, all of those things that are about me and speak to my mindset and my emotions. 
Because if I cannot manage my mind and my emotions, my life cannot be good. Mm. Like if I am mentally and emotionally out of control, I can't make good decisions. I can't embrace healthy behaviors and I can't produce great outcomes. So I need to try to manage myself and I need to try to manage my resources and my mm. environment and situation in terms of the things that are in my control. Uh, my son, Bodhi, five years old, just got a, um, uh, like an assessment or uh, I can't remember the word, but they send each, word, each, each semester, they, a semester assessment to us about him, just his development at daycare. And, you know, daycare, they try and help children understand their emotions. So there's a bunch of different ways. There's zones, colored zones. I'm in the green zone, I'm in the red zone. Mm. It's, I was just thinking then that shit stops really like mm. learning how to regulate your emotions. I mean, I can't remember being taught that as a child into my adolescence. It's, it's an interesting concept that we just, maybe it drops off. Maybe it's still in academia in, um, in high school, primary school, but it is something that is continuously needed to be learned and skilled up on which is, you know, for me, it's the mindfulness stuff is like, I feel anxious. I feel upset. Yeah. I feel angry and shit heaps, but it doesn't mean that that is like, it's just a, a conjured up emotion in me. And I, if I could have a moment of observation on that and just look at that, what the fuck, look at that. Wow. There's energy right now. That's great. Like that's separate from the emotion itself, but I still slip back in. And so yeah, I, I, I wonder, do you know if the, this is being taught like, um, you know, looking after your emotions or I sure, guess Sure, sure. I mean, that's part, yeah, that's part of um, psychology is understanding all those drivers of behavior that all the emotions and all the psychological stuff. But also I would say to you, I still, you know, I still get anxious. I still get this. I still get that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, and that is because you are human. Yeah. So welcome to that. That's never going. You're never going to have zero anxiety or zero fear. That's I've never met that person. And even people that you think, oh, they've got all their shit together, nothing scares them. Trust me, something scares everyone. Um, and, and that's not a bad thing. That's like fear is a good thing. Sometimes fear keeps it safe. But there's, kind of, there's a guy called Daniel Goleman who's a very famous researcher um, who uh, pioneered a lot of stuff around emotional intelligence and he talks about, I think it's him, but he talks about these kind of four uh, stages of awareness. Like we're talking about awareness here, like, oh, what's going on with me right now? What, like, what, what's this anxiety about? Like when we bring curiosity in, it, change, it turns down the volume on the emotion. Oh, wow, that's interesting. I'm, I'm anxious. I wonder what that's about. Or I'm grumpy or I'm resentful or I'm jealous or I'm whatever the emotion is when we start to think about it rather than be in it. When I start to think about it, I can extract myself from it a little bit, right? And so there's these four stages of getting into uh, more awareness, which is one is, uh, stage one is self-reflection, which is where you're just going, well, what's going on with me right now? Like something's happening. You realize you're like, something's happening. What is it? Oh, I'm, I'm actually jealous. Oh, wow. I'm jealous of Tommy. What is that about? What? Mm. So I, I'm, that's the awareness or the, 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 the reflection is that something's going on with me. And then I realize I've got this feeling. And then I go, what is that about? The awareness is I'm jealous of Tommy. And, and because of that, I'm saying something or I'm doing something that really isn't, doesn't look like friendship at all. Right? So number one is self-reflection. Number two is awareness, self-awareness. Number three is self-evaluation. And that is comparing what I'm doing, being jealous with my values. Like is what I'm thinking and feeling and being that doesn't really line up with who I want to be, who I want to be and how I want to be. And the answer is no, in most, most cases. Mm. And then the last part to that is self-regulation. And that's the hard part is to go, Oh, okay. So this is, it's not that it's not that I should be, it's just that I am. And what do I do about that? And that is to, you know, then the opposite of being jealous would be, I'm going to promote Tommy's podcast 
I'm going to encourage him. I'm going to actively do something to destroy this feeling of jealousy or uh, whatever it is that I've got where we become aware. And I mean, you know, when we, when I talk to people, we talk about personal development, like most of us want to be the best version of ourselves. That's a cheesy expression, but whatever that means yeah, yeah, mentally, yeah. emotionally, physically, as a parent, as a human being, as a lover, as a partner, as a boss, as a leader, as a podcaster, as someone who has an audience, you want to be the best version of you. But that doesn't happen by wanting it. That happens by working it. So how do I get better at listening? How do I get better at communicating complicated things in a listener-friendly way? How do I become more self-aware? How do I, whatever it is. And then, you know, this is why I say 50% working on life, 50% working on me. Yep. Love it. Um, you wrote something. Because that's, that's our challenge, isn't it? I mean, you think about this. If you've got a great life, but in the middle of that great life, and by life, I mean situation, circumstance, environment, job, money, all the things that, but then in the middle of all of that, you're really kind of broken mentally and emotionally, then your overall experience in the middle of that great life is not a good one. Mm, it's a shit life. Just um, going back to the stuff and having, having things, having stuff in your house, whatever it be, I heard a great sort of... Uh, little tale or little you know anecdote that can maybe snap someone out of that sort of materialistic moment is thinking about everything you have is technically on loan whether you buy it or not you die one day and someone else has to fucking work out what to do with the thing that you bought therefore it's kind of never yours <laughs> well thought, it's like the whole concept of i mean you and i are pretty philosophical right and I believe that the earth is it's intelligent. <laughs> no, I believe that the earth is intelligent. I believe that nature is intelligent. I, when I sit in my garden and you know what my garden's like, my garden's beautiful and there's a million trees and I sit out there every day and I literally, every day I sit with my feet on a tree, my bare feet on a tree. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but there's something going on when I'm doing that. When I walk, I never walk in shoes. When I go for a walk, which is every day, every day I walk in bare feet, summer and winter, right? I know when my feet are connected to the earth, something is going on. But I also know like the idea of owning, it's like I own this piece of the earth here in Hampton and the earth is going at me. No, you don't, you fucking idiot. You're just temporarily camping on top of me, right? Like this idea of owning a bit yeah. of the earth, like the earth is going to spit me out and eventually I'm going to go back into the earth, hopefully not too soon. And I'm going to become part of the earth because I'm just yeah. biology that's going to decompose and become dirt. You know, it's hilarious that we have this and Eckhart Tolle talks about like the, the lunacy of the idea of owning part of the earth, you know, and it's like mm. when you think about the big, 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 big picture, you go, what, what do you own? Like, and why are you so... Yeah. You know, and of course, ownership's not terrible, but there is a point, I've spoken about this a few times recently with a few people, but there's, there's some research that says that there is, a, there is definitely a correlation between happiness and money, uh, yeah. income, but it's only up to about, only up to about 70, 75,000 US, so probably around 100 grand Australian. And, and up to that point, obviously, we want to be able to feed our kids, put petrol in the car, pay the bills send the kids to school and, and not be constantly stressed about money. But then beyond that point, there's no uh, positive correlation with more money equals more happiness. And in fact, over time, it, it inverts. So people who end up with stupid amounts of money are quite often less happy than people with, you know, a, a typical income in inverted commas. Yeah. Do you think it's uh, partly because... Most of the people who have been able to accumulate huge wealth, the thing that they have had to do to be to get there, the person they've had to be to get there, like Elon Musk, in unique individual, richest person in the world, one of top top two. Uh, he like, I wonder just the stress that he has on himself. Mm. To, you know, change the world or take us to Mars or whatever it is. Like that's huge pressure. And, mm. 
you know, if you just sort of extrapolate out to hundreds of million, you can't even say millionaire, that's not rich these days, billionaires, hundreds mm. of billionaires, mostly mm. they're probably having to be pretty brutal because they've got big business or, you know, whatever it is. Mm. I mean, do you think that's, yeah, the hundred grand sweet spot is maybe your corporate that can just sort of coast, coast a bit, hide, <laughs> hide mm. on a Zoom meeting. Yeah. Oh, and look, people will be listening to this right now going hundred grand. I couldn't live on a hundred grand. And the reason that we couldn't live on a hundred grand is because we've created a situation where we need more than that on our whatever. And that's cool too. I understand that. But I think one of the flaws in our thinking is that, that the, the, the emotional or the psychological pain that we feel will be resolved by a physical thing. Uh, a bigger house, a better house, a better car, a better whatever, and more investments, a different property portfolio, you know. Um, and it, <laughs> it, it may be related, but it probably isn't, um, you know. And some of the happiest people I've met in the world, the happiest group of people that I've met in the world uh, and spent uh, a week and a half with lived on an island in Vanuatu called Espiritu Santo, uh, the island was about literally as big as Hampton where I live, the whole island in the middle of the ocean. And they had uh, no electricity per se. They had generators. They had an airport that was basically a dirt road with a tin shed. And none of them really owned anything in the context of what we call ownership. None of them really owned anything. And I've never met happier people ever in my life or more generous or more kind or emotionally evolved or socially connected. But if you use them looking through the lens that we call success, you would say, oh, those poor people, they're absolutely impoverished. Mm. Yet so happy, mm. so happy. And, and that's not to say we should all move there. That's to say, I think sometimes we need to reconsider what, and it's, it's not a global thing. I think too, it's personal. It's like, what is the question that I want people to ask or think about is not what is success, but what is success for me? And not only is that different from person to person, the answer, but I think also, you know, what is, uh, what the answer will be will vary for the same person over their lifetime. So, you know, mm -hmm. when I was 35 and I had three gyms and two other businesses, so I had five standalone kind of uh, commercial spots and I had million moving parts and, you know, it was all go, go, go. And it was awesome. And it was fun. It, at that time, that version of my life was awesome and I loved it and it was fun. There were also downsides, but the idea of being in that situation for me now has zero appeal. Mm. The idea of me having, you know, Tiff and Melissa who work with me and no more staff, maybe ever, <laughs> that that's perfect not that staff are bad but mm. the less moving parts for me i want to do the work that i want to do and when i'm not doing that i want to you know i want to sit i want to listen i want to meditate mm. i want to ride my motorbikes i want to go to the gym and lift shit i want to help people i want to be in nature because you know it like we're never going to live in any moment other than the present and we're so past obsessed oh i should have would have could have and we're so future obsessed, oh shit, what if this happens, that we miss out on the place that we live, which is right now. And, and again, that's very Eckhart and very philosophical, but it is true. You will never live in the, in the future. You will never live in the future because when next Wednesday comes, it's just mm. another installment of today. It's another mm. installment of right now. And, and the future can't exist because exist is a present tense verb. So there's just a never-ending, never-ending series of now moments, but we have to frame it in our brain so we can comprehend the timeline that is our life. So we go, so we use these terms like past and future, but it's really all mm. just now. And that fucks with people's mind. You're never right. going to live in any moment but now. Absolutely. Not this particular 111 on, you know, Friday the 25th as we're in now, but that moment of now, there is no... There is no separation of time really other than in mm. our head because mm. it's a constant. Yeah, I love it. And I mean, it sounds, it's simple to say, it's hard to grasp and 
<laughs> even even harder to remember in every moment because sometimes you you're ripped out of the moment. Mm. The um, there's a couple of areas I wanted to go. I want to I want to work. I want to understand why the hell you were in uh, Vanuatu because I actually knew that story. And there's a better bit, which is I think someone who was who you met came here. Yeah, Mackenzie. Yeah. Can you tell me why you were there first? And and so I was there for a wedding. One of my best friends was getting married. I was uh, um, best man, and my batten down the hatches, Tom. My girlfriend. Ooh. What? Last one. My, <laughs> yeah, that was my last one. Twenty five. I went. I'm not good at this. Yeah. Uh, she was the matron of honor, and um, um, yeah, I met her. Like, really, it was we, we were sleeping in huts. We were about literally uh, fifty meters from the sand and seventy five meters from the ocean, and it was just calm and beautiful. And and uh, I met a guy called Mackenzie who had been born there and had no idea. I mean, he didn't know, never seen television, never heard radio. I didn't like, you know, like he just grew up in this spot. And, so he gave um, zero shits that you were on telly and on radio. So he didn't. No, he didn't. I mean, I was just a weird white human to him, <laughs> right? And um, but we really got on. I don't know why we got on great. And he would ask me things, and I loved teaching him and talking to him. And and I realized that they had next to you know they didn't. I mean, they weren't big into ownership anyway. But he he, he liked my what like. He liked my, he didn't ask for anything, but he liked my watch. So I gave him my watch. He liked everything that I could give him other than my passport, uh, everything that I could, could give him, including money, I gave him. I gave him pretty much everything I had except my clothes and even some of them I gave to him, right? Because I'm just like, this is, anyway, but I will tell you something funny. I don't know, have I ever told you the story of him and I at that time going to meet his parents and the no. walk that we went on? Oh, yes, it is a great story. Tell it again, though. Pretend yeah, I don't so, know. <laughs> so anyway, so I'm on this island in the middle of nowhere. I meet this guy and we just, you know, it's we're a, an odd couple, but we're hanging out and talking and we get on well. And he, he was calling me after a week, my my brother from another mother, right? <laughs> my my white Australian brother. I'm like, cool. Uh, that That's an honour. So I'll gladly take that, right? And Anyway, about the second last day, he said, I want you to meet my family. I'm like, all right. So we, um, uh, so he's, and he was quite proud to sh one, to show me his family and his family home and two for them to meet me, I think. Um, anyway, so, so we head out of the, where we're at, which is, I use the term very loosely resort. Uh, it was really like, <laughs> not a resort, but, but all surrounded by dense bush. And it's about, I don't know, maybe a 2K walk to his house. And then we start, we walk out of it and we, we get on this dirt track and we start walking and we're about 50 metres into the dirt track and he reaches over, all six foot four of him, <laughs> and grabs my white middle-aged hand. And now, we're, now I'm walking in the jungle now I'm walking in the jungle with this Vanuatu native called Mackenzie, who's just the most beautiful human being, and we're holding hands. <laughs> and you can imagine all of my issues, yeah, they came to the fore. And my very reasonable brain is going, oh, I know what this is. This is, this is how in some cultures men walk together holding hands because they're friends and it's cool. This is what but all of my bullshit and I'm like sweating. <laughs> I'm, I'm overthinking and I'm walking along holding hands with this dude and all I could think, which I'm embarrassed and ashamed to say, but I'll own up and I wouldn't do it now, but I did it then. All I could think was, oh, what if someone sees me? Yeah. Like I'm in the middle of the jungle, <laughs> right? What if someone sees me? What will they think? Um, but it probably took me about a kilometer and I settled down and then on the way and I met his family and they were beautiful. And then on the way home, I happily held his hand all the way. Um, yeah. But it's so funny how moments in time bring our own issues. Like I didn't even realize I had, I kind of thought I had my shit together. I didn't have my shit together at all. But um, you know, sometimes it's those, 
moments out of the box that we inhabit where somebody drags you out of what you think is normal into their normal and you're like, mm. oh, fuck, I've got no skills at all. But that was, I mean, that was fun. I love that time and I love that trip. Cultural norms. I mean, this is the reality across the world. There is different things going on, how we raise children. And it all starts very, you know, very young most of the time. I wonder, have you, I mean, did you sort of get curious beyond that uh, session of handholding to understand? I mean, maybe there's nothing to understand. They just love each other and they love people and they oh, hold yeah. hands. I, but if, I, I think it's, I think it's no big deal at all. I, in fact, I think it's beautiful and, and I admire them and I was ashamed to myself, but, but I grew up in a culture, I'm not blaming anyone except me, but I grew up in a culture where I was not encouraged, I was dissuaded from doing that, mm. right? And we won't go into the why, but you can imagine in the, you know, 70s, 80s, when I was a teenager, you're not doing that, you know? Um, and, I mean, that's just because we were morons back then and we didn't understand what we understand now and we were, you know, a bunch of things. But it was, um, yeah, and I love that. I love the fact that he was just that, like he didn't have all the issues that I had. I'm like, nah, I nah. think I'm evolved. I'm the one who's not evolved in this moment. Yeah. You know, I knew all of this stuff. I'd done all of this education and here I was um, walking through the middle of the jungle on an island with a guy who was teaching me all of these things without even knowing that he was teaching me. Yeah. You it's... Know? And, I, and I think this is a self-awareness moment, you know, and, you know, we one of the biggest challenges is to realize and then do something about the fact that the only person in our lives who thinks like us is us. And so to have a greater perspective, we need to try to find a way out of that. Mm. Not so that we become someone else or even agree with someone else, but rather so that, you know, we understand others. We don't just, you know, we, everybody's looking at life through their own window, their own window of understanding and belief and, and habit and, you know, uh, preoccupation and whatever, you know, but when, when I go and look at life through Mackenzie's window, I'm like, wow, what a beautiful world. Mm. Cause his window, I look through his window. I'm like, fuck, this is a better window than mine. Cause my mm. window is full of bullshit. A bit foggy, bit of dirt on it. And you can't, you can't get to the other side to clean it. Either. I definitely needed some emotional and cognitive Windex, Tom. Oh, absolutely. Um, Ramdas. There's, there's a title for you, Emotional Windex. Emotional Windex. Um, I'm going to actually make a bottle and start selling them. Thanks for that idea. Uh, Ramdas tells this story about someone who, you know, and I can relate to this, you know, talks about, oh, I need to, I can't be in the city. I've got to be in the, in the calm, the quiet, you know, out further, you know, living further away from civilization, you know, just, and I, and I understand that. And, you know, this is a spiritual context, a spiritual teacher, Ramdas, and you know the sort of delivering that. Oh, so you, so you're looking for a spiritual, uh, you know, education, or you know, you're on a pursuit to become more spiritual. Go live in the city, and it's <laughs> go back to the thing that you hate because there's the spiritual lesson, there's the practice. That's right. Spirituality <laughs> is not about geography; it's about you. <laughs> Yeah, but it, I mean, wearing a kaftan and doing some meditation in India, India would feel great. But it is that that can transfer to so many things in life. All the things that we want to move away from that are the teacher. It is the lesson, the hard thing. Children, one of those. You know, my mum says I'm her teacher, and maybe it's my ego thinking, "Fuck, that's right, mum. That's right, I am." But I, I agree with that, or I understand that more than ever having children that the thing that is so hard, the thing that grinds your gears, a child not listening to you, not following the instructions or just, you know, creating chaos in what you want to be calm in your house. That's, there's so many lessons in the uncomfortable shit that we do. I loved what you wrote recently. Um, and it's, uh, firstly, it's, it's on your whiteboard. It's, uh, it's on like a, um, it's almost like a roadside sign something you'd stick into some, you know, grass out the front of your joint. And I actually reckon you should buy a house with some grass out the front and start doing your whiteboards on pickets yeah. out the front of your joint. But anyway, you do you draw the picket 
every time you do this on your whiteboard? I've just got to understand. No, what I do was every now and then, but about three times. So it's, it looks like a kind of a big old, you know, if you picture like a real estate board out the front yeah. of the house, it's like a big board with writing on it. So I have the board drawn up on my whiteboard and I just rub out the words just yeah. so I don't have to redraw it. But every now and then it gets a bit crappy. So I've got to rub it all out and do the whole mm. thing again. But yeah, so it, so I try to, I try not to smudge it and I just <laughs> uh, write the words. I rub the words out and write new words for the day in. Yeah, I love it. Well, I actually did spend probably three minutes of my life the other day thinking about that question and also thinking about how much I love the wood texture that you've drawn into the the backboard. Mm. <laughs> anyway, mm. on that on that board, you wrote, train yourself. Train yourself for uncertainty, discomfort, and unfairness, and you're preparing yourself for life. Prioritize comfort, familiar, pr- uh, sorry, prioritize comfort. Prioritize comfort, familiarity, predictability, and certainty, and you are preparing yourself for misery, anxiety, and overwhelm. Life gives no fucks about your happiness. Craig Harper. Yeah. Well, it's got, well that, that doesn't sound very uplifting when you read it. <laughs> but, but, hey, that's not very positive, Harps. I, you know, I agree. It is not very positive, but it is true. And, you know, I... I always say to people, look, I can tell you what you want to hear or what I think is the truth. And of course I get things wrong, of course. But I mean, literally I've been helping people change their body and their thinking and behavior since I was 18 when I started as a gym instructor, that was 40 years ago. So I've learned a few things. I'm still learning a few things and I still get things wrong. But, you know, for me, the idea of working against resistance in the gym, which builds strength and power and capability and function Uh, that idea can be transferred beyond the gym into the world where we work against resistance emotionally and mentally Mm -hmm. and sociologically and professionally where we push. And one of the byproducts of getting uncomfortably uncomfortable mentally and emotionally, like owning up to something that's hard or stepping into a fear that we should face or having a difficult conversation or swallowing my big fat ego and saying, Tommy, I'm completely wrong, I'm sorry, or whatever it is. Like these are things that build resilience and strength and capability. Um, uh, And, you know, they allow us to adapt and survive and thrive in the middle of the mayhem. And Mm. the truth is that life is not fair or unfair necessarily. Life is just life. Like in other words, bad things happen to good people. Like pandemics happen. People get hit by cars and hurt. I've had multiple friends die. I've had people, I, I've had people become the, uh, friends of mine, paraplegics and quadriplegics. I've had friends die from cancer. Beautiful, awesome, amazing people who died, you know, um, way, way, way before they should have. I've had mm. Maddie, who was my first trainer who worked at Harper's ever, who died when he was 24. The nicest, one of the nicest people I've ever known in my life. Like bad shit happens, right? Um, people go broke, businesses fail, people write horrible shit online. Um, and then you want to extract that, extract that out beyond just us. You go, well, hey, see what's going on in the Ukraine. Like bad things happen. Mm. People are, you know, and so the challenge, one of the challenges for us is to navigate the messiness and the unpredictableness and the unfairness and the uncertainty and the, the pain. Mm. And, and it's in the doing of that that we build confidence and competence so that when the pain comes, when the mess comes, when the uncertainty comes, when the bully comes, perhaps we're okay. Because when our default setting is all things comfortable, we're actually programming ourselves to be weaker because we are so, so used to being in our comfort zone and so addicted to being comfortable that when the hurt comes and it will come because it comes for everyone, we're ill-equipped. And so I don't want people to have bad days by doing hard shit all the time. I definitely don't. And if there was an, you know, a, a love and light and unicorns and puppies answer to this, I would be preaching that. But, but the truth is you can't build strength without working against resistance. And so Sometimes I write whiteboards like that one you just read and I go, you know what, 
50% of people will go, yeah, this is meaningful to me. And mm. 50% of people will go, well, this is not very fucking inspirational. Next. Yeah. And I get it. But maybe they're looking for the comfort. Because I, I also love reading a nice kick out the bum motivational post from you too. Mm. And mm. makes me feel a little something. Yeah. And at, and at the same time, like, you know, sometimes, and again, this is a bit cliche and old school, but sometimes loving people, the act of, the act of loving someone is really quite uncomfortable in the moment. I, I, had, a, I had a conversation yesterday with, uh, how do I say this? I just don't want to get myself or anyone in trouble. But a friend of mine whose husband is uh, really struggling with um, alcoholism and, you know, what to help that person sometimes there needs to be some tough love because they're not just going to magically get better. That doesn't mean we don't really actually love them and support them, but sometimes there needs to be a bit of short-term pain to help people through mm. to the long-term health and wellness, you know, and, and when you are enabling somebody to do shit, which is destructive to themselves, that's not love. That's weakness. And, and we, you know, some of us are hardwired to be people pleasers because we don't like any sort of confrontation or dis-ease or messiness, you know, so, or unease perhaps is a better word. Um, and so, you know, we're always trying to keep everything fucking honky-dory and feel good, but it just is not how the world works. And sometimes, you know, it's like I've been working with Melissa who, who runs my life for 10 years. And I reckon in 10 years I've had three hard conversations mm. and, and they lasted for about seven minutes each. But I said what I really thought needed to be said. And she went, yep, cool, no worries. And that's three times in 10 years. But 99.999% of the stuff with us is awesome. And she's had to have talks to me a lot more than three because I'm a fucking handful, Tom. <laughs> um, just going back to the uh, you know, question of, what is success for me? Uh, the 35 year old bloke that had five different businesses. Do you think it was a matter of you not actually asking yourself that question or was that success for you at that moment, but you didn't understand what it all meant because you hadn't been there yet versus you now understanding mm. a success. Like you can't answer what you feel success is for you right now that can't apply to your 35 year old self because it's just not you anymore it's a that was a different time and context 100 yeah that's a very smart question well done you so thanks man. there are you know i think that there are lessons or that there, there is there is wisdom that can really only penetrate people on a cellular level by going through an experience mm. Like I can tell someone how to avoid something or what might happen if they do something, but it's just words. They haven't lived it. And so they go, yeah, yep, sure. Okie doke. And you know, they're not going to pay attention and you know that they're going to come unstuck. And you know that in five years, they might come back and go, fuck, I wish I listened to you. Right. I thought it would be different or, you know, and obviously sometimes I get that wrong too. And sometimes people just need to learn, but I think there's, you're right. For me at that time, um, in that, look, in some ways, and this is really going to sound evasive, but I don't mean it to, it's almost confusing, but in some ways I was really successful because I had five businesses making money. Uh, I was writing for the Herald Sun. I had a really good brand and, and I had lots of awesome human beings working with me. And, but I think in the middle of all of that external stuff, which is all good, there was some internal stuff with me, self-doubt, insecurity, ego, bullshit, lots of things going on that I focused on way less than I did all the external stuff. And that proved to be for me personally, not for my organization, but for me as a human, problematic because I would wake up often in the middle of the night. I went through about a year and most nights I would wake up somewhere between a bit concerned about something I forgot to do that day or I should do tomorrow 
somewhere between a bit concerned and panicked, like heart beating out of my chest, right? Worrying about something. And so every night I would, uh, I'm just holding up to Tom now a spiral bound book. I would have one of these spiral bound books by my bed. I'd have one of these, a pen, and I would wake up, flick on the light and write notes. So it was on paper and I could get it out of my head and I could sleep. Because if I didn't get it out of my head and onto paper, I was terrified of forgetting it. And then the world would end, <laughs> which is all very catastrophic, but 3 a.m., as many people know, listening to this is a very catastrophic time of the day, right? In your head anyway. Mm. Um, and it, that kind of went on and on. And you, I don't want to bore you, but maybe some of your listeners haven't heard this, but I ended up going away for 10 days. I, I reckon I was about, you know, three days out from a breakdown and I went, I've got to get away and I need to figure out what I want to do with me and my life. And cause on the outside looking in, it was all good and shiny, but the inside out, that wasn't the experience I had. And I could bore you for a whole other episode on what that was about. But let me just say that it was spiritual, mental and emotional for me. And the moment that I started to work on me more than my business, my life started to get better. Mm. I, I spent 10 days by myself, didn't talk to another human, didn't take a phone call, didn't watch telly, didn't use a computer. There weren't really any then. Um, and didn't socialize, didn't interact. I just, all I did was walk on the beach. I went to Queensland. I walked on the beach. I trained in the gym and I journaled uh, and I just thought deeply about what I wanted the rest of my life to look like. I wanted to be a conscious creator, not an unconscious passenger. And when we talk about the life journey, I feel like no disrespect. A lot of people are unconscious passengers. That is their life already has a level of momentum. And a lot of people just get swept along in that momentum doing jobs. They don't really love in relationships that are not always super healthy uh, with habits that are kind of killing them. And then oh, boom, I'm 55. And so for me, I didn't want to do that or be that. So I literally, my, my overarching question was, what do I want the rest of my life to look like? Uh, what do I want me to look like? And I mean, literally, I mean, metaphorically. And then the third part to that question was, what do I need to do to make this real? Mm. I love that. And that was it. I came back and within six months, I sold all my businesses except one. Yep. And I, so, I enrolled in uni for the first time at 36. I did a three-year degree full-time on campus. And I started writing and teaching and speaking and writing books. And, you know, I still had a gym for a long time after that, but that was not my focus anymore. Mm. So you, you like, should... I think it's finding the thing for you, you know, yeah. and, and the thing for me is teaching, sharing, talking, writing, hopefully inspiring. That's my thing. Um, How do you know when and, you found and, your thing? Uh, you just know it's like, it's something happens. It's like, Oh, it feels like home. I've come home and you know, there's things that you are really good at. Like I'm, I'm pretty good at training humans. I'm pretty good at training teams and athletes and I can do that. And, and I, I enjoy it. Um, I can run businesses and build brands, but I tell you what, I'm not a natural entrepreneur. I don't love that. I don't love building businesses and brands. Although I'm, I can do that pretty well. I'm, I'm training bodies and, and, athletes is a lot closer to my sweet spot, but working with people on an emotional um, and a cognitive and a behavioral level, that to me is just, that's where I belong. That doesn't feel like this conversation now. It, this doesn't feel like work. Mm. You know, this is, you and I could be at the cafe. Like this is how, and you know, you and I have had virtually this conversation when it's just you and me in a room or you and me having coffee, this is the only difference is today we're recording it and pushing it out, you know? Yeah. Uh, lastly, you know, you mentioned that you walk with no shoes on. Correct. Do you think just based on your conditioning, when you're walking, like are you ducking across the road to get off the main street to go back street? So people don't look at you and go, why is that bloke got no shoes on? Like, do you think like that or no? no not at all. Ah, okay. Now, the only thing I do do is if I've got to, you know, go to the supermarket or something, I just don't think, uh, I don't really care what people think. <laughs> I mean, you know, Tom, I ride around a scooter around Hampton, which is worth about $1.75. 
yeah, I think yeah. my total wardrobe is worth 90 <laughs> bucks. Um, and I, I, I mean, I would be lying if I said I don't care what people think of me, but I, am, I care less than I ever have, mm. you know? And I, and I mean, you're I, speaking, I, I, I think I would feel it's just context. Like you, there's a f- certain few things which you outlined that have become normal that are your normal. Yeah. And if yeah. I did that, your normal, I would feel conscious about other people look at me. I mean, I am 25 Ks from the beach. And if I've got mm. no shoes on, you got to ask some questions where if you're near the <laughs> beach, don't worry about the questions, mate. It's just, you know, <laughs> or maybe you don't, maybe you can be 25 Ks away and fuck but, it. You know, it's you like <laughs> it, of all the things that we think about, you know, it's like a really, it's like, and I'm, I'm really like people say to me shit, like, cause I wear cargo shorts every day. Right. The reason I wear them is cause they've got huge pockets. They're comfy and I can train in them. I can actually do a presentation in them. I can do podcasts in them. First I get time. out of bed. I throw them on and, and I don't have to think. And like some people are really perplexed. They're like, don't you get sick of wearing like, but don't you, I go, not at all. I go, I don't even <laughs> think about it till someone asks me that question. Like me, yeah. me spending time quizzically looking into the old, fucking wardrobe going oh what will i it's just i have not ever had to do that in my life no i mean i just find it fun i did put something out on instagram about oh actually no people called me out for wearing no shoes into a service station and i i I mean so i I, i'm an offender 25 kilometers from the beach Mm. but it is a real thing there are things certain things Mm. and i and i wonder if you kind of you know, did a, a some kind of chart of all of the things mm. that get people really concerned about what others think and what is the thread? What's the similarity in all of these? Uh, um, well, that's a metacognitive exercise. That's what that is right there, Tom. That's I like where it. Do you want to get together on the weekend and do that together? That'd be nice. Yeah. Why, why do we think, you know, here's another one. I know <laughs> we're going to wind up, but you and I both listen to Rogan a bit. And of course, his, his, you know, the worst man in the world at the moment, apparently. But anyway, <laughs> I remember him talking about this and I, I thought this is so fucking interesting and so funny, right? He was talking about um, uh, getting a massage and he was talking about, you know, he has this uh, lady who's like a physical therapist, like deep tissue, masseur, like, you know, uh, and because of all of his mixed martial arts and his training and he's a, you know, he's a black belt in jujitsu and he's also was a champion kickboxer, blah, 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 blah. His ass and his adductors, his adductor muscles, every one of the ones that run up the inside of your leg near, near your nether regions. Yeah. And he says, he was talking about how his adductors are always like violin strings. And he said, isn't it funny? You can have, somebody like rub their thumb thumb up and like release your adductors or, you know, and they're basically, it was saying they're like half an inch from your dick and that's totally fine. (laughs) But if you move half an inch to the left, that's illegal. Absolutely. Right. So touch this bit. Yeah. Not that's just therapeutic (laughs) touch that, that bit. Now you're a sex worker. It's like, we have all these weird fucking stories in our head. And by the way, you touching this bit of my body, it's a crime what you know and i'm i you know i i just i thought i was thinking about that and i thought it is so, and we yeah. we all we all go yep that's true yep we agree yeah the, the well, way that we think and the stories that we have around so many things when you you've grown up with them so you don't question them but when yeah. you kind of get a bit of space you go oh yeah what the fuck is that about yeah cultural rules Un, unsaid things in culture that we just abide by and I mean, there's heaps of shit being shaken up. I mean, Mackenzie's doing so much for um, masculinity these days through that story. Like that is true masculinity, holding your bro's 100%. hand. It's, yeah, it's the only person that had, the only moron in that story was me, <laughs> the storyteller. But it's, uh, you know, it's true. I wonder what he's up to. Probably yeah, married I mean, with five kids. And he probably wouldn't have a, actually, no, like, to be honest now, I was just thinking about mobile phones. You see across India and, you know, places yeah, where the, everyone probably, has, everybody has a phone now. So I reckon we get him on. You should, you should see if he uh, wants to, you know, do a co-pod 
Well, well, there is a part B. We won't do it today, but we will one day. And that's when I brought him out to Australia. He'd oh. never eat. Dude, it was like putting him on fucking Mars. He was, <laughs> he, he, his head was spinning for two weeks. He did not like from the moment that he got in my car at the airport, it was just, it just, bl everything blew his mind. He didn't know what a traffic light was. Wow. Like at that stage, I had a Land Cruiser. He thought I was like the richest person in the world because <laughs> my car was like, a, I mean, it wasn't fucking fancy, everyone, but it's it was for home. him. Oh, it's like a Rolls Royce. Not that he would know what a Rolls Royce was, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like everything, it, like restaurants, like it was, it was incredible. We need part Another two of day. Mackenzie's story. Hey, congratulations on Tom Versation. Oh, thanks. Everyone's Craig. talking about it. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Well, you can find us Good at uh, Tom Versation Pod on Instagram. My Instagram's at Tommy Jacket. And of course, Craig Harper on Instagram at Whiteboard Lessons. I was just looking at some old content that you and I created, and um, we did a little podcast together. I think we nearly did 20 apps. And. Mm. In the first couple of episodes, I actually noticed that we we were right. You were writing on the whiteboard, whiteboard lessons, and it mm. was like that that start of the inception of you know that Instagram account and stuff, which I love. But it's um, you know nearly sixty years in the making. That's what your podcast is, <laughs> and I That's really love it. The You Project. Uh, have a listen to Craig's podcast if you haven't already. Love you, Craig. Thank you, mate. For Thanks, on. mate. Love you, buddy. Thanks, everyone.